and welcome back to On the Shelf. Today, I have an episode that I cannot wait to share with you all today, an author interview. Not only that, I am back temporarily. I am back in my original um, interview setting. I am back home. Um, This is being recorded during Thanksgiving week, so that's why everything is a little bit hectic. But because of that, um, my audio might has the potential to sound a little different throughout the interview. Uh, I think I think it'll all be okay, but that's just a heads up. That might sound a little weird, um, but either way, this interview I have been so excited for. As I say, like the stars kind of aligned, and it was it was literally just so much fun. Um, uh, Lev Rosen is one of my favorite authors right now, and I am so honored that I got to talk to him. So I really hope that you enjoy the interview. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to On the Shelf. Uh, I am truly so excited to talk to today's special guest. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit off the air, but it feels like, at least for me, the stars kind of aligned with a number of different factors. Uh, and I'm just, I don't know, I'm just so happy. I've been looking forward to this uh, for literal weeks. But um, welcome to On the Shelf. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. What's sad is, you know, when you you said you emailed my publicist when you're setting this up about how it felt like fate. I never get those emails. I want to get those emails. <laughs> I know. Um, I know. And it was truly great because she emailed me. This is one of the first ones that like people, PR people are reaching out to me now and being like, mm-hmm. do you want to talk to this person? And I was like, yes, I'll talk to him. That sounds amazing. <laughs> um. But yeah, so, you know, as I said, welcome. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, a little bit about the books you've had come out this year, because this has been a very big year in terms of publishing <laughs> for you. Um, and then we will get into our questions. Yeah, sure. So hi, I'm Lev Rosen. Um, I write under, I write adult under Lev A.C. Rosen and young adult under L.C. Rosen. And this year I've had three books come out. Um, uh, I had in the spring Lion's Legacy, which was a young adult queer sort of take on Indiana Jones and who queer history belongs to and searching for it and puzzles and all that. Um, and then in, uh, just, uh, last month, yeah, last month, oh boy. Um, I had The Bell in the Fog come out, which is an adult historical mystery and the sequel to Lavender House, which came out last year. Um, And then just this month, I had Emmett come out, which is a queer young adult contemporary retelling of Jane Austen's Emma. How exciting. And so for this interview, we are mainly going to be focusing on Emmett. But, you know, I figured why not kind of incorporate a couple of questions here and there just (laughs) because it's been such a big year um but yeah but no, first I love of all... it I love because normally these are like so like talk about this one book Lev and I like they all work together in my mind so I could talk yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I appreciate uh the flexibility um but yeah so but before we get into Emmett um uh, I first want to 
learn a little bit about you, have the listeners learn a little bit about you um, as a writer, as a person, before we get into your process and the book itself. So the first icebreaker question I have is, if you were a plate, what type of plate would you be? And this is one of those, like, the first thing you think of, that's kind of (laughs) your answer. (laughs) I saw that you asked people that one, and uh, I knew the answer immediately when I, I saw that. Uh, it's it's three specific plates that are hanging in my kitchen. Uh, um, my husband and I, for our honeymoon, which was several years after we got married because we had to save up, we took the Orient Express uh, overnight between Vienna and Paris, which was amazing. Uh, so it's a sleeper car and you have to dress for dinner. Very beautiful. And uh, there's a special there's special things you can only buy on the train. Um, and one of those includes the little, a set of the little salad plates that, uh, have images of the, um, the decoration of the train. And these are trains like from the twenties, thirties for, uh, so, or older maybe. Um, so there are these specific plates that we just had framed, uh, and hung in the kitchen, which are, um, yeah, they have images of the Orient Express on them. <laughs> I love that. That's so sweet. Uh, and I I really like asking that question because I very rarely have gotten the same answer twice. And especially that's like a very personal answer. I haven't gotten that before. Um, but I love that. Um, the neck. And I don't know. I do think that's kind of funny that you thought about it ahead of time. I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate the research. <laughs> um but yeah, so the next icebreaker I have for you is um, if you had to spend a year in a fictional world, which would you pick and why? Yeah, so this one is hard. Um, I think especially if you're like so many fictional worlds, like fiction depends on things being exciting and dramatic. Mm-hmm. And like that's not necessarily somewhere you want to go hang out for a while. You know, if you were like a weekend, I'd be like, yeah, let's go have an adventure or something. But a whole year... Yeah, you want somewhere that could be fun, but where you don't feel like you would be attacked at any given moment. So the one I go, I I am leaning more towards the being attacked at any given moment. Uh, but the uh, Once in Future by A.R. Capetta and Corey McCarthy, um, which is science fiction based on uh, Arthurian legend, and so it's very far in the future, and it's an imperfect world, but like also there's sort of sci-fi Ren Fair robot dog, uh, horses that you can ride. And like a year feels about right. There'd be adventure, but it feels like there's downtime. You can always just hang out on a spaceship in the middle of nowhere for a bit. So like, it doesn't feel like it would be too dramatic. It doesn't feel like people would be like, I would have to be closeted again mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or be like, I'm not Jewish. What are you talking about? None of that <laughs> stuff you know, that it would be pretty much anything in the past. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, There's, you uh, know, yeah. Yeah. So I think that would be, I think that'd be a lot of fun. Very queer yeah. too. I think I'd have mm-hmm. fun. <laughs> that, that's quite the throwback. Well, I mean, not really a throwback. It's not that old of a book, but I, I don't know. Um, this is one of the few cases where I've like read the book that the author is talking about. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, yeah, I see <laughs> It'd be fun, but like it yeah. wouldn't be like exhausting. <laughs> yeah, there's stuff to do, but not necessarily like stuff that you'll immediately die if you get caught exactly. up in trying to do. <laughs> yeah, it's not like a death sentence just for being me. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I would just make choices that the protagonists don't make because I'm old. Mm -hmm. And you also know what the consequences of their actions are going to be. (laughs) So you can choose pick different answers. Just me sort of off to the side be like, yeah, go tea. (laughs) (laughs) I really like that answer. Um, All right. So now getting into kind of what I call the scaffolding section of the interview, where it's just kind of like talking about what goes into the books you make and just kind of like behind the scenes and everything. Um, I'm wondering if you have a favorite or least favorite part of the writing process and has that or does that change from book to book that you're working on? That's a great question. Um, Absolutely, it changes book to book because uh, I think every book sort of writes itself differently, you know? Um, That's what I always tell my students too. And I think that if I were to say like my favorite, favorite part, it would probably be either the opening, like when you first have that idea and you're really excited, you start writing it down. I think everyone loves that part. Um, But I also really like the first edit. When you finished a rough draft and it's garbage and it's time to like look at it and actually figure out what you wrote, you know? Because that to me is, it's this moment of discovery and it's this moment of, oh, this is nowhere near good enough yet but I understand what I'm doing now. And like, even if you outline, even if you you know what your book is gonna be essentially, you don't really, at least for me, you don't really know what it is until you've written that last sentence of the first draft. And again, it's always terrible. It should always be terrible. Uh, I, I call them vomit drafts when mm-hmm. I <laughs> teach. I'm like, just get it out. Don't worry about it being perfect. Cause once you have it in front of you and you've reread it, then you sort of start to be like, oh, I get what I'm doing. And that is a moment where you get to, you get to, it's exciting. It's an exciting moment because you you understand what you have to do to make it better. I love that. Um, continuing on um, with kind of the writing theme, I'm wondering what's the best writing advice that you've ever received? And if you could like, Go back in time to when you were starting your writing journey. What advice would you give your younger self? Oh, boy. <laughs> well, how <laughs> young are we talking? I've been writing since grade school. <laughs> I don't know. You can kind of I, pick. I feel like sixth grade Lev was not going to take much advice from current, you know, <laughs> yeah, 10 novels under his belt, Lev. Um, I think... The best advice I've gotten. Oh, that's hard. I've studied under some really brilliant people. Um, Dan Sean was my mentor through most of college. And I think the thing he always taught me was to emphasize character. And that story comes from character, which isn't particularly like, (laughs) it's certainly, you know, you hear that a lot. Dan always had this way of, and he still does, I imagine, of um, telling you to seek out the darker parts of your character and the funnier parts of your character and the messier parts of your character and let those also be the heroic parts of your character. And that, to me, is always... It, it, it was a revelatory thing to learn over those years because it was about understanding that best and worst can be the same thing in a character. And it wasn't just like, I'm a character struggling with these two sides of himself. I must be good, but I want to be bad. It's not, 
that like that it's much more my good and bad are the same thing and that was really mm -hmm. interesting to me and then I also I studied under Whitney Otto um uh, for a little bit and she used to talk about structure so intelligently um and really in an inspiring way about the way that structure changes story to story and also it should reflect the story in some way so when she talked about writing how to make an american quilt she talked about using the quilt as the structure itself and how that helped her figure out you know not just how to write the story and how to tell the story but the idea that structure it it, it should it's not a simple regular thing it changes with each book and it should reflect the book itself so that, that's two for one <laughs> i love that i haven't i don't know i haven't heard kind of either of those uh pieces of advice before so i really appreciate it um i especially love how you phrased while well, I you were kind of paraphrasing the like the two parts of the character um because I've heard similar things but I haven't heard it like, kind of said that eloquently or like put that way um <laughs> so I think that's really cool um, a good day. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah and is that kind of the wisdom you would impart on your <laughs> younger self do you think oh boy my younger self uh I mean if I were to go to sixth grade lab who insisted on writing about fantasy to the point where his teacher actually, uh, for one creative writing assignment, was like, no, no more fantasy for you. You must write something contemporary. And he wrote about a fortune teller. Um, still defying that. Uh, I would be like, you know what? Contemporary can still be magical. Realism can still be magical. Let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about why you enjoy this fantasy and how we can mm. impart that stuff on contemporary stuff and uh i think that might be a helpful conversation that would not get through his skull at all <laughs> uh i i love i love that anecdote i had a somewhat similar uh conversation with one of my teachers when i was in middle school maybe elementary school um uh, where basically he told me my essays were too funny because I was writing and I would include these like little kind of asides that I knew he would find funny because I was writing for my audience and he was like this is too funny you can't do this this is a history paper that I was just like <sighs> but yeah oh, so man. I that's I understand why he gave you that advice for academia yeah. but like, what a shame too <laughs> I know so I'm you know I'm I have incorporated that in my current writing um for the classes I'm taking now but I've also continued an element of I know the audience I'm writing for yeah. and how to get the point across so I do think that was a good lesson um and I do I I still try to incorporate little funny moments when I can but in a more with fancier words so it goes over well <laughs> in academic settings um but yeah so enough about me um now the next um <laughs> <laughs> uh, my next question is um uh, again kind of a little bit more about you I'm wondering have you always wanted to be a writer as I think I think the answer is yes <laughs> but still have you always wanted to be a writer or has this just 
kind of been something that's happened that you kind of realized oh I like reading I like writing let's see where this goes came out this year how (laughs) this happened um yeah no it's something I've literally always done like to the point when I was a small child I was one of those kids who was and like it was it was constant it was never-ending inescapable um my that that sixth grade teacher told me to stop writing fantasy I went to a very small private K through eight school and um she was also our eighth grade English teacher I think maybe not anyway um she at the when you graduate there were 18 kids in my whole grade um and so when you graduate and go to high school they have a little ceremony and they like each each student received a little gift from a teacher and she was the person who gave me my gift and she gave me still have it I mean there's a podcast no one can see it but you can see it it's a little wizard statue and she said this is for Lev because he's a wizard with words so at that point my fate was pretty sealed (laughs) I love that oh and kind of the second part of the question is just kind of like is is writing something that like at this point in your career that you do full-time are you still kind of balancing it with the rest of your life is it for a lot of people I've talked to but not all but a lot of the people who I talk to writing full-time is the eventual dream just kind of where what's kind of your current Mm -hmm. state in writing (laughs) um I am lucky enough to be married to someone with health insurance and so yes I do write full-time but I have like side hustles too uh I teach creative writing although I haven't since COVID kicked in uh because we were doing virtual stuff, which wouldn't have worked for me. And then this year, when we finally were doing live again, I had three books out. So I was like, I have no time, <laughs> but I'm hoping to get back to it sometime soon. Um, and I do sort of book doctoring and stuff like that. Uh, but mostly, yeah, I write full time. How fun. Uh, yeah, I always just like including that um, kind of section just because uh a lot of the time when people see kind of the publishing industry, they see kind of like, oh, this quote unquote direct path to being a New York Times bestselling author and just like <laughs> all of that kind of stuff. So it's just always really interesting for me to just hear about like the different paths that people have. Um, the and best how... path, marry someone with health insurance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just kind of like how they get to um, where they are in their career. So thank you. Um, all right. So getting into... I have we getting into the actual book section. I have some just kind of books broader questions, and then some that are of course specific to like Emmett. <laughs> I'm savvy. Uh, <laughs> I don't shut up. No, that's totally fine. Um, I love it. I appreciate it. Sometimes I'm. <laughs> in an interview and I'm like oh this is gonna be like 10 minutes and they're gonna finish all the questions immediately so I appreciate uh you know the conversations the tangents all the types of things um but yeah so getting into the um the actual books section now I'm wondering if there are any themes or elements that you try to include in any book you write, which I spelled right incorrectly. I don't know why I would do that, but <laughs> any themes or elements you try to include in all your books or maybe things that you just kind of have noticed, like have popped up that maybe you didn't set out to do, but they just kind of ended up there anyway, or just kind of that kind of thing. Um, I always try to include queer characters and Jewish characters. Uh, even when I was writing straight protagonists, I always tried to make sure that happened. 
Um, uh, in terms of things that always seem to pop up, whether I like it or I've been told I write a lot of found family stuff. Um, I feel like I feel like most people do. <laughs> you know, I, I, I certainly there are books about just like the family you're born into and that drama. But I feel like if it's not about that, there's almost always some found family element, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, and I think especially with queer books that happens. Uh, I do. I don't know. I'm trying to think what else have I been accused of writing <laughs> over and over again? uh yeah aside from keeping it queer you know in this year when you look at all three books <laughs> um the thing that I keep thinking about is like they're all somehow about queer history you know we have Lion's Legacy Tennessee Russo is the character's name and he is literally like digging up this queer history that we never talk about that is often sort of straight washed, like, you know, the, the, and they were roommates thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that vibe essentially. And he's trying to prove it's queer and he has this reality show where he's trying to show the world this queer history. And so that's a contemporary book about delving into queer history. And then we have Bell in the Fog, which is literally uh, takes place in 1952 and it's about. Uh, the queer community in San Francisco and it's a mystery so like we're actually in the queer history and then we have Emmett which is a queer revision of a historical novel like a historical classic and sort of putting a queer stamp on those sorts of stories and being like I can I can do this my way I can insert myself here this can be our our story too um that to me is what I've been doing this year. And I'm not 100% sure I realized I was until I sort of looked at the year and I was like, oh, <laughs> this is my thing now. Oh, I I love that though. Um, and I, I don't know, I think that's really cool. That, and I also did have a suspicion that that, that was going to be the thing that you said. Um, <laughs> But I don't know. I respect it. I appreciate it. Um, so going into our next question, I feel like I might have made an error on my part. Uh, so going into our next question, Emmett, as you have said, it is kind of like a retelling adaptation. Um, first of all, I don't I don't know if you did this. Did you give kind of plot synopsis for Emmett or did I completely skip over <laughs> that? Because I know you listed them. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, no, just... I didn't give it an extensive yeah. plot synopsis uh, because it is so yeah. very, Emma, <laughs> it is so very clueless. Um, but yeah, essentially um, Emmett, who is a very privileged young teen, well, not young, 17 year old um, in a, who goes to a private high school uh, in California, in Southern California, um, he is determined himself not to have a romantic relationship until he's 25 because he believes that the brain isn't done forming until he's 25 and therefore any relationship that has started before that will inevitably end in sadness. Um, and he may have other more deeply rooted reasons for believing that yeah. related to say the death of his mother when he was young. Mm -hmm. um, and his uh his friends with benefits his friend with benefits uh harrison 
um, one day after their quote unquote tutoring sessions uh, is like, I think I kind of want a boyfriend and like sort of implies that maybe he's into Emmett in that way. And maybe they could try making it a relationship instead of just sexual. And Emmett immediately is like, great, I'll find you one. Not me, because I don't want that. But I will absolutely find you a boyfriend. Uh, I just did it for my friend Taylor and she and her boyfriend are great. Uh, even though, you know, <laughs> everyone's like, did you really set us up? Or was it just like someone said, is it, was it really just he asked if she was single <laughs> and you said yes, eh, whatever. Um, and so it's about him trying to find a boyfriend for his friend with benefits, which is so deeply messy and so very gay. <laughs> <laughs> and um it's also and so in that sense it, it follows the emma train where it's it's this matchmaking story but it's also sort of about the way that um when you're queer you know your your closest friends and your lovers and your significant others are all going to come from the same pool and like that's sort of a, and sometimes they'll overlap. Sometimes a lover becomes more than just like a, just the than a friend with benefits. Sometimes your best friend is an ex, you know, stuff like that. And how messy that is, and how Emmett is constantly trying to impose order on that messiness, uh, and how maybe that is a bad idea. <laughs> That is fair. Um, thank you for giving more of the detailed synopsis. Normally, <laughs> I ask that at the top of the show, but I, I don't know. I've, well, I I've been on... one at a time, one sentence for yeah. each one. And I was <laughs> yeah, and I've you know, it's it's been a quite a week. I've been a little off my game. Uh, yeah, I don't I know when this is going up, but yesterday was Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so and for listeners, if if you think general sound things are different it's because i'm back in my initial recording location so that you know kind of a big deal kind of not a big deal uh but yeah so i will say this every time zoom is very very expensive so we're gonna take a short little break and we will be right back <laughs> and we are back all right so now that we have the synopsis for Emmett. Um, and as I kind of said before, it is kind of a retelling adaptation kind of thing. I'm wondering, how did you choose what elements from um, the original book to keep the same? And what did you choose to kind of have some creative liberty with? Um, like, you know, elements that you're like, I this needs to be a one for one adaptation just with like, I don't know, gender switching or like things like that, or just what was your process um, <laughs> of, of doing something like this? Yeah. I mean, when I knew I was going to be, you know, moving it from Regency era England to contemporary California high school, uh, there were a bunch of things that had to get shifted with that. Yeah. So, you know, like, for one, the age difference between Emma and Knightley, who she ends up marrying, is, you know, very large in the book, as was common at the time. Uh, that's not going to fly, you know, a 17 year old in, yeah. in a YA novel ending up with someone in their late thirties is probably going to be a little weird. Um, so <laughs> very uncomfortable. So, um, I, I knew that, you know, that was a big thing. The real, the big, big thing, the thing where I felt like I had the most sort of freedom 
was um, the character of Mrs. Taylor, who uh, at the beginning of Emma is getting married. And because she gets married, she essentially moves away. And like, we see her a couple times, but she's not a constant presence throughout uh, Emma's life anymore, which is sort of why she befriends Harriet because Mrs. Taylor was her best, was her governess and her best friend. And so now she's like, gonna be friends with Harriet. Um, I just, there's, there's no scenario where a high schooler, their best friend, like vanishes unless they get transferred away or they move or something. And that wasn't going to work here. So I got to have more fun with Taylor, with his best friend, Taylor, and creating who she was and the relationship. And yes, she is off in her own relationship world, the way that high schoolers and new couples can get sometimes. Um, but she's still present, a lot more present than I think Mrs. Taylor was. Um, and so she... I got to create a little more. I felt like a, she was a place where it would if I was filling something in. But I kept a lot of other stuff. I, I, I knew it was important to keep the death of Emma's mother um, uh, and her father's hypochondria. Um, I knew I wanted to keep the sort of like this, you know, this guy is sort of part of the family for the love interest. And like, I twisted that, you know, I didn't make it what it is in Clueless, which is a little confusing to some people uh, <laughs> with the sort of like, we were step siblings for a hot minute <laughs> thing. Um, and it, so it was it was about, but otherwise I really did follow the structure. I did, the things I'm most proud of sort of taking were the ways I took like freight. So in the book of Emma, there is this really, it's a very long book. Um, and it has this very long section where they become really into riddles, <laughs> which is very of the time. It's like, what is there to do? I don't know. Let's do riddles for a couple. <laughs> um, and the fa her father is constantly going around being like, I remember a riddle, something about a fair but frozen maid. And um, I named a key ice cream truck in the in Emmett fair but frozen made which i thought was the funniest thing i've ever done <laughs> i love that i love those little like the easter egg moments that if it's anything it's just for you to just sit yeah, back and laugh those at little like, things where it's like mm -hmm. if you just read emma or if you're reading them together oh mm -hmm. but most people aren't gonna aren't gonna notice them but i i yeah those were fun yeah, but you notice it. Like that's the that's what matters. Um, There's also some clueless Easter eggs in there. I couldn't not put clueless stuff in there. Well, my next question's kind of about that, so that's a perfect segue. Uh, so you know, like kind of all of Jane Austen's uh, works are classics, including Emma. Uh, and there have been other adaptations and retellings throughout the years. I'm curious about. Um, if any of those were particularly influential on your process of adapting and kind of modernizing the story of Emma, or did you kind of try to just like write it in a void for a bit and just be like, I just want to see what will happen if I adapt it however I want to adapt it and not like get interference from the outside world or just kind of your process when it comes to kind of retelling something versus a story that you're just creating like completely of your own mind <laughs> i think what no matter how i write there's always like inspirations that's mm -hmm. sort of unavoidable 
and you know i'm i'm fine with that i'm fine i think if you're like have a great you're watching a tv show and you're like i want to do that but make it gay or whatever that's fine as long as you were genuinely sort of changing things and making it your voice that that that's cool by me um and i think with emma and emma i I don't even know which one i'm talking about emma has had a lot of adaptations um and yes clueless is certainly one of the most notable of them in that it is one of the most perfect movies ever made uh and i i did for like there were emmett was on the shelf for a while for a number Mm -hmm. of reasons but one of those reasons was why would I do this when there's already Clueless? And then one day I realized Clueless is 25 years old. <laughs> and I was like, oh boy, I guess that means it could be time. And like, you know, Clueless is, is has a queer character and is gay in its like sort of aesthetic and its fan base. Uh, but to make it genuinely like a queer protagonist to me felt uh like enough of a shift but i definitely knew that you know i was going to be using some of the same things they did with clueless like it was going to be a spoiled kid at a private school um and outside la just feels like the correct place so it just feels like the correct place um so all of that was still gonna be there but i i think i shifted a lot of it in fact i would say a larger inspiration than Clueless in terms of the aesthetic of the novel is Bridgerton. I tried to like create what I call sort of a romantic hyper-realism where the, you know, like you watch Bridgerton and you're like, ooh, what fun, but you know, it's not historical realism. Like they weren't playing violin covers of songs that were years ago in Regency era London. It wasn't like that, but it's, like the cover of a romance novel come to life that's what it is and that's what I was trying to do with Emmett too so there is sort of a string quartet that is constantly practicing no matter where you are so like he he, there's always a string quartet around you can always hear them playing something there are flower petals and uh you know falling on people whenever they embrace all the time and as that goes along, it becomes more and more ridiculous, the things that are falling on people. Uh, and only Emmett seems to notice it and gets sort of annoyed by it. Uh, so like, it is sort of like he is in a romance novel cover, um, not a Regency one, but a contemporary one. And that I think to me differentiates it a lot from Clueless, that aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like kind of very kind of like basic similar vibes are there but it can branch off into its own whole thing um and I love that uh I definitely when uh when I was told about this I definitely did have the little thought of like oh interesting kind of like clueless but now Uh like reading through and going through it I'm like oh okay like this is its own totally new thing um and I just think that's so fun like this has the potential to kind of be clueless for like another like a new generation of people on your lips to various god's ears yes we will see (laughs) um but yeah so where am i in the document okay here we are so next question um kind of similar kind of going a bit back to just like 
you as a writer and your writing uh and kind of again a broader book question because you've had two YA books release and an adult book release this year so I'm wondering um and we've talked about process a little bit earlier but I'm wondering what if anything kind of changes in your process if you're setting out to write a YA no novel versus an adult novel like with um Emma in particular like did you know straight from the start like this is definitely going to be YA or just kind of like general process like do you approach do you approach them differently or just kind of what what's the case with all of the different things yeah I think so it's that's such a like interesting complicated question yes I knew uh, uh, Emmett was going to be YA and part of that was just like the age of the protagonist yeah um but for me the big difference is when we're writing for teenagers there is this sort of there's a less, and this sounds so silly to say about teenagers, but they are less jaded as readers, not as people, just as readers. Um, in that, I think when a teenager picks up a book to escape into a book, uh, which is not like being assigned necessarily, but like if they're picking up that book and they really want to read, uh, they really see these characters as real people. And that's something I sort of wish adults did in the same way. And like, I think some adults still do, but many, many adults are always sort of aware of the fact that they're reading fiction in a way that you don't have when you're younger. And so because of that, the big thing that I always keep in mind when writing for teens is it can't betray the reader in any way. So I start out with like, Emmett's not, I've been saying this whole time whenever I advertise the book I'm like Emmett's the worst I love him so much he's the worst um and like I think that's that's clear on the page right away but Emmett is the worst in a way that doesn't feel like a betrayal in that as you go along as you feel closer to him he's not suddenly going to be like and by the way I'm super racist like you know you you can do stuff like that as almost a twist in an adult novel you know you're trying to throw the reader off their game uh you're trying to make a point something like that with teenagers it feels less like a, a you know clever thing and more like an actual betrayal and so yeah. that's what I want to stay away from uh with my YA work but and I don't do it so much in my adult work but I feel like I can I feel like I can be a little more brutal in honest portrayals of things, you know? And part of that also is my adults are historical mysteries and my YA tends to be romance. So there's also a genre separation there. Interesting, interesting. I had something to say and I completely, <laughs> it all went out the window, um, but thank you. you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll let you know if you think of it. Um, but you did, um, you did somewhat touch upon my next question, which I really like asking um, because we have gotten some reactions like you were just kind of saying about Emma, uh, where do you think you and your protagonists would get along if you were to meet them? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I mean, okay. So I, I talk about this in that my like, uh, my books from this publisher, which is called Little Brown Books for Young Readers, because it was founded by someone named Little and someone named Brown. Um, 
And so my little brown books is what I call them, which sounds terrible, but in context makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, and that's Jack of Hearts and Other Parts and Camp and now Emmett. I talk about how they are sort of, they're all characters who on the outside are the stereotypes that when I was a uh, openly queer teenager in high school, I was told not to be. So Jack is sort of the slutty bad boy. Uh, Randy from camp is a uh, way too much theater kid. And Emmett is a condescending prep. Uh, And if you were to ask me which of those I most resembled in high school myself, it would probably be Emmett, not the prep part. I was definitely goth. But uh, the condescending know-it-all sort of like, I understand how the world works and I'm going to fix everything and everything's going to be neat and tidy and I'm going to arrange for this. And I am right. That was me in high school. Um, uh, I don't think I would get along with me in high school now. I think, I mean, I think from a distance, I would find me in high school deeply amusing. Um, But I think, uh, yeah, no, Emmett is the worst and he's supposed to be the worst. And, you know, Jane Austen, and this is one of the big inspirations. Jane Austen, when she wrote Emma, she said in a letter, she's like, I'm going to write someone no one likes but me. Mm-hmm. And that's what I set out to do. And I love Emmett. I love writing him. It's so fun. It's so funny. He's so unaware of half the things he's saying and like so out of touch with himself that it's like genuinely a joy to be writing a character that innately hilarious (laughs) um but if I were to meet him in person I'd be like oh god get this kid away from me (laughs) Uh, honestly I don't know I honestly kind of love when authors have that answer just because you know everyone has a different relationship with the characters they're writing and there is whether they mean to or not there always is going to be that component of like this is kind of a part of me there's always going to be that element I feel like within um protagonists um but I don't know I kind of I kind of love it when authors be like no we would hate each other just because it's so funny I get the uh I I think I get a different version of that a lot which is what character do you relate to the most in your books and I'm always like the adults the adults I relate to the adults because I haven't been 15 for 20 years and like I I like I understand what it was I remember what it's like to be a teenager and that's why I write these but if you could ask me who I relate to it's the adults on the outside being like oh no honey don't do that (laughs) I love that um so the next question uh that I'm curious about is how do you think your protagonists would get along with each other the two I specifically said in the question I wrote was from Emma and then Lavender House slash Bell in the Fog but then also lines like you're just kind of all your protagonists are in a room together what's gonna happen (laughs) all right all right let's talk about the teenagers first because i feel like they're both you know contemporary even if tennessee's world's a little magical um so i think emmett and tennessee get along okay um in that you know tennis they both have sort of uh, uh like go get them attitudes uh, uh where Emmett's like here's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna set up my my the, these people I'm gonna make everyone happy everything's gonna be great I'm going I'm so nice I'm gonna tolerate this annoying girl I'm gonna do this 
And then Tennessee is very like, I'm going to find queer history. I'm going to uncover it. I'm going to do the right thing. We're going to make sure it goes back to the people it really belongs to, yada, yada, yada. So they would probably kind of get along on a very surface level if they had like significant amounts of one-on-one time. I think Tennessee would begin to become annoyed with Emmett uh, um, in that Tennessee is this very sort of like honest, aware of like, he has a a more nuanced sense of morality while still being very like strong about what's right and what's wrong um and i think he would he would sense emmett's falseness after a little while and then you throw an adult into the works (laughs) an adult from 1952 um suddenly walks into the room i'm not super sure what would happen i think he would be astounded by seeing openly gay teenagers um so there's that and like that would be a wonder to him um but get like uh, yeah I don't know how to answer that part I don't know how because it's an adult and teenagers and like I think he'd be like look at these weird kids (laughs) (laughs) like I have a mystery to go solve (laughs) I don't know what's going on here I love that though. Uh, very entertaining. Uh, my next question, kind of along similar lines, and ignoring the rules of the space time continuum and whatever, how do you think Emmett would kind of get along if he were to meet kind of his namesake character of Emma from the original novel, like uh, personality wise? <laughs> they, so if. Uh, uh, leaving aside conversations about the future, the past, time travel, etc. If they're just sort of put in a situation where it's purely them and like the history of how they meet and who they are and their worlds doesn't really particularly matter, they're going to be thick as thieves. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're going to be, they're going to be like, oh yes, they're going to team up and become even more insufferable. (laughs) They're going to set up everybody. Yeah, they're gonna be like, <laughs> let's arrange everything, <laughs> and we will just watch. <laughs> Aren't we just that. the best people for doing this? Aren't we <laughs> so charitable and nice? Aren't we taking care of absolutely everything? <laughs> yeah, no. Oh god, they'd be insufferable. I'd love to watch it from a distance. <laughs> yes, exactly. Be like, I'm fine. You can <laughs> yeah. go play with those people. <laughs> I love that. Um. <laughs> I always say protagonists just have to be interesting. They don't have to be sympathetic. Yeah. <laughs> or likable, you know? And that would be real interesting. That would be so interesting. All right. Um, so my next question. I'm wondering if there's something that um uh, to you it just like had to be included, whether it's like a certain place, an event, a meal, or something that's meaningful that's just like deeply meaningful to you, but also for the overall book experience that just, you know, that you wanted to uh, be included in Emmett? Huh, what an interesting question. Um, Something that really needed to be, I mean, I knew I wanted to explore that idea that I mentioned earlier of the messiness of the queer community and this idea of like everyone in your life coming from the same pool sort of. Um, and that was really important to me. Uh, and that was like what I wanted to toy around with. But in terms of something I felt really needed to be included, <laughs> uh, aside from a lot of flowers falling on people, 
nothing specific comes to mind. Like I, I had a lot of stuff mapped out, but it wasn't like, oh, it, it, it there, there has to be X, Y, Z in it. Um, it just sort of happened as it happened, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. No, um, I respect that answer. I understand that answer. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, we're in kind of our last couple questions. Um, the last one that's kind of specifically book related is what are the, um, what do you most want prospective readers to know, or just like some final words about um, Emmett to leave some the listeners with? Yeah, I think Emmett is, oh man, if you love the idea of romance and like over the top, silly romance cover romance, and you love the idea of a character who is absolutely the worst being sort of tossed into that world and like viewing it and like, as you read the book, I hope, I, 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 believe I pulled this off I hope you know not every everyone's mileage will vary but will become more understandable more sympathetic and more worthy of love as you read you know Jack of Hearts which is one of the most banned books in the country when it first came out um I did the Texas Library Association conference and there was a librarian there an older straight lady and she came up to me and Jack is definitely not like a traditional sympathetic character. He's like openly slutty. He's doing the drugs. He, you know, that he doesn't want a relationship, same as Emmett. Um, uh, and that, and it, you know, it's not a romance. It's a thriller. He doesn't end up with a relationship. He ends up screwing a bunch of guys. Um, and that was sort of the point. Um, but this woman came up to me and she was like, you know, I read your book. And when I first started reading it, I was like, oh gosh, I cannot stand this person. This is not what we should be showing kids. This is not, you know, who, what teenagers should be like. This is not something they should, you know, this is a bad teenager. This is a bad person, essentially. But by the time I got to the end of the book, what I realized was, I don't know if I would necessarily want to be around this, this teenager, I like I still sort of think that our morals are so different that I wouldn't really like him, but that doesn't make him less worthy of love than anyone else. And that to me is the like that was like such a that was a big moment for me. And like that is what I try to keep forward going through all these books. And Emmett is sort of terrible, especially at the beginning where he essentially says, I let annoying people hang out with me at the table. And like, you know, he's so disdainful and condescending and he thinks he knows everything. And as you get to know him, I ho hope you get to see the humanity in him. Um, uh, and you get to see that he is just as worthy of love as anybody else. And that, I hope, is what you take away with it, along with ridiculous flowers falling on people everywhere, candy-colored school uniforms, of a string quartet playing <laughs> at every available opportunity. So yeah, contemporary Bridgerton with a sort of a cad of a character. <laughs> oh, I, oh, I love that. Um... I don't know. I don't even know what to say. I think that was a really good kind of a last 
thing to leave uh readers on i am someone who's currently reading the book and that uh, always just makes me want to go and read the book again and just like go back into it <laughs> whenever <laughs> i ask that question um but i love that so thank you um all right so we have two closing questions um the first of which is our show is called on the shelf so i like to ask authors what's on your shelf what are you currently reading these days you have quite the uh quite the cool bookshelf behind you i can see so oh, well, i don't know yes, yeah a little display <laughs> of all my books um uh, yeah i'm currently reading something that's not out till next year uh to blurb and that blurb is due soon so i gotta finish it and it's very good it's just been so busy um and it's called rough trade um it's an adult mystery historical mystery um uh, it's by uh, do, 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 let me look up her last name so I can sound it out as I pronounce it. Rough. Uh, oh, God. So here we go. Uh, Kat, yeah, it's Katrina Carrasco, I think. I think that's how it's pronounced. Um, and it's a sequel uh, to the previous book which is, let me, um, The Best Bad Things. Um, and it, uh, which I haven't read, uh, but they asked me to blurb the second one. And I, it's, it's really, really enjoyable. It's this genderqueer um, smuggler in, uh, it, it, yeah, it, the West Coast sort of uh, just after the gold rush. It's really, it's very cool. Um, and it's just, it's very lush, beautiful writing. So I'm really enjoying that. And then if you want a wreck, just a general wreck, my wreck of the year is Dolly, for YA, is uh, Dahlia Adler's Going by Coastal. Love it. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. And it's like so smart. It's like two novels in one. And there's like, yeah, it's, I can't even... It's about um, a bisexual girl who has to, at the beginning of the book, has to choose whether or not to spend her summer with her father in New York or her estranged mother in L.A. And we get to see what happens in both choice, depending on the choice, what happens. And it's a romance. It's got multiple happy endings. Um, and what I love most about it is this thing Dahlia told me. She's like, I want to show teenagers that... The choices that feel like really big choices, they are really big choices, but that doesn't mean there's a wrong one. And I love that so much. And I think the book does it so beautifully and it's so smart. It's I can I can go on about this for hours. Just the way she sort of replicates information within the two time streams and like things people say that echo. Oh my God, it's it's genuinely a wonderful, 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 wonderful book. Awesome. <laughs> so I've... I've only heard of going by coastal. I had not heard of the uh, the other book, but both of them are definitely on my radar now. Uh, so thank you. Ring, I think. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. But still, but, but still, there's a first one you can read. Yeah. The first one. <laughs> but yeah. So um, as I said, the last question I have for you is our shop small corner and the little bit of 
the backstory for it is um, way back when in 2020, uh, when On the Shelf started, we were directly connected to our local independent bookstore in North Carolina, Quail Ridge Books. So whenever we have um, an author on, we like to kind of continue that legacy of independent bookstores and all of that stuff. Um, so whenever we have an author on, we like to give them a little chance to kind of highlight where people can like find you and support you first of all, but also, um, I don't know, uh, an indie bookstore that you really like, yeah, want to yeah. shout out and all that good stuff. I could shout out a million indie bookstores. I love them all. <laughs> but I will say uh, I I have an arrangement with the Ripped Bodice, uh, which is a wonderful bookstore with stores both in L.A. and New York City. Um, and it, it's a new arrangement. So there should be a website a page or something up soon and it'll be on my webpage levacrosen.com but uh, if you would like a signed book they have plenty in stock of all my books and if you would like a personalized book like you want me to write happy birthday to someone or you want me to make it out to you specifically you can order it from there uh, and I go in uh, uh, a couple times a year they'll have dates up that you'll have to wait for that copy but uh, I will go in and I will do it because I go in and I visit that bookstore. It's a wonderful bookstore. Awesome. Uh, and for listeners, of course, there's going to be links for the Ripped Bodice, specifically for Emmett. Um, and Ripped Bodice is going to be on the map of independent bookstores. Um, so more often than not, if you're anywhere in the U.S. and some places elsewhere and you are in need of a book I might have a, a bookstore recommendation for you in your area um but yeah and the links for again Ripped Bodice as well as Quail Ridge and my new local indie Odyssey books in Massachusetts all those links are going to be in the show notes below um and I'm going to include the website link as soon as that's live hopefully by the time you're listening to this It'll be there. If it's not, it'll be there soon. Um, but yeah, just, you know, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. I know it's thank been you. quite a week on both ends. <laughs> I was not looking at the calendar <laughs> when I but. arranged this. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I appreciate you and your time and just thank you so much. Oh, no, thank you. This was so much fun. Yeah, I, this was this is a really great interview. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed. If you did enjoy, I hope I hope maybe you'll take a moment or two of your time to go rate uh, on the shelf on whatever platform you listen on so even more people can find out about us and maybe find their next favorite book. As mentioned, all of the links for where you can find Emmett are going to be in the show notes below. This includes the Ripped Bodice links, um, so you can just click and it'll take you right to the Ripped Bodice page for Emmett and soon when... Uh, the website he was talking about, the webpage of his kind of exclusive deal with all of the signed copies, all of that stuff when that is live. It'll also be in the show notes below as well as some other purchase links. Um, yeah, all of the things, literally all the things uh, where you can find Lev on social media, where you can find on the shelf and you can stay up to date with all of our author interviews. I will be back next week. Um, and yes, next week is... Christmas Eve, I believe, but the work does not stop for me at On the Shelf. I will be back next week with another author interview. And until next time, I'm Honora Quinn, and this is On the Shelf.